Good morning. Um, today's Bible reading is from Deuteronomy, and we're starting in uh, chapter 31, verses 14 to 22, and then we're skipping through to 34 and verses 1 to 12. So starting in 31, verses 14 to 22. The Lord said to Moses, Now the day of your death is near. Call Joshua and present yourselves at the tent of meeting where I will commission him. So Moses and Joshua came and presented themselves at the tent of meeting. Then the Lord appeared at the tent in a pillar of cloud, and the cloud stood over the entrance to the tent. And the Lord said to Moses, You are going to rest with your ancestors, and those people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them. And in that day I will become angry with them and forsake them. I will hide my face from them, and they will be destroyed. Many disasters and calamities will come on them, and in that day they will ask, Have not these disasters come on us, because our God is not with us? And I will certainly hide my face in that day, because of all their wickedness in turning to other gods. Now write down this song, and teach it to the Israelites, and have them sing it, so that it may be a witness for me against them. When I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, the land I promised on oath to their ancestors, and when they eat their fill and thrive, they will turn to other gods and worship them, rejecting me and breaking my covenant. And when many disasters and calamities come on them, this song will testify against them, because it will not be forgotten by their descendants. I know what they are disposed to do, even before I bring them to the land I promised them on oath. So Moses wrote down this song that day and taught it to the Israelites. And then if you flick through to Deuteronomy 34, verses 1 to 12. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pishgar, across from Jericho. Then the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan. All of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the Mediterranean Sea. The Negev and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Psalms, as far as Zor. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land? For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Thanks, Lauren. 120, his eyesight was still good. I was thinking about that when I put my glasses on. Let's pray as we look at this part of the, of the Bible. 
Heavenly Father, thanks that you have given us your word. Uh, thanks that we can read it in English. Lord, please help us as we think about these chapters. Please help us to grow in our trust in Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. Um, this week, I heard someone describing one of those green algae plagues as biblical, is what they called it. It was um, the water source with just algae everywhere, so much algae that he said it was biblical. And my brain went, yeah, I get that. He had me. I could understand that. I'm thinking, you know, the plagues in Egypt, amazing plagues, things that just turn natural things upside down. But then he went on, he went straight on, he said, um, it was a biblical scene, he had me then, and then he goes, didn't seem quite real. He lost me there, because that just, that, that just clashes, doesn't it? It's biblical, but it doesn't, it's not real. He had me up until that point, and I'm thinking, well, if you can't trust God's word, then what can you trust? We've spent seven weeks looking at Deuteronomy, and back in the second week, we were way back at the start of the book in chapter 4. And this is what you read in chapter 4 about those plagues and all that. Chapter 4, verse 35, uh, 32 rather. Ask now about former days, long before your time, from the day God created human beings on earth. Ask from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything so great as this ever happened, or has anything like it ever been heard of has any other god heard the voice any other people heard the voice of god speaking out of fire as you have and lived has any god ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another by testings by signs and wonders by war by mighty hand by outstretched arm or by great and awesome deeds like all the things the lord your god did for you when you were in egypt before your very eyes now that's that's all the biblical stuff like this big stuff but then verse 35 goes you were shown these things so that you might know that the lord is god besides him there is no other those things are biblical yes they really happen though they're not unreal like this guy just uses the word they really happen and they're meant to drive you to the conclusion that god is real he is alone god they give you reason to trust God and obey God. And that's one of the themes that just runs through Deuteronomy. Trust God. Trust the Lord. Obey the Lord. Um, God's awesome acts show, how, show that he is God. And you need to fear him as God. So after seven weeks in the book of Deuteronomy, um, both here at church and in growth group, that's one thing that's been drummed into us. Trust and obey the Lord. How are you going at that? How are you going at trusting God? That was way back in the start of Deuteronomy. Um, if you speed on ahead to the end of Deuteronomy, you come to chapter 32, verse 44. This is Moses um, saying what he's been saying all the way through Deuteronomy. So have a look at 32, verse 44. Take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They're not just idle words for you. They are your life. By them you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Here's Moses saying, I've written all this stuff down so that you'll read it, so that you'll trust God, so that you will obey him. It's everything. It's your life. 
Um, in these last four chapters of Deuteronomy, the narrator, he's recording Moses' final actions. And so if you kind of you know, take the, the flyover of, of the chapters, chapter 31 opens with Moses saying he's 120 years old and he can no longer lead the people. Our minds go, yeah, of course you can't. You're 120 years old. But that's not the reason he gives. If you would have heard when Lauren read chapter 34, verse 7, it says until his, the day he died, Moses, um, his eyes were not weak nor his strength gone. And the day he dies, he climbs up this great Mount Nebo. Age isn't the thing that means he can't lead the people any longer. The reason's in verse 2. He's got a hand over because Moses isn't allowed to enter the land of Canaan. Joshua will be the one who will lead the people in. And you'll see that explained further if you read ahead into chapter 32, verses 48 to 52. It's time for Moses to hand over. He's the last surviving one of that generation apart from Joshua and Caleb. As you do the quick flick over these chapters, that sets the scene. This is the handover from Moses to Joshua. And Moses writes down the law in chapter 31 so that it can be read for the people. And then God tells Moses to write a song. It's a long song. And it takes you through to the end of chapter 32. And then before walking up Mount Nebo, Moses blesses the 12 tribes of Israel. That takes you through chapter 33. And then you come back to chapter 34, where Moses actually climbs up the mountain, saw the land of Canaan, 34 verse 6. He died and God buried him. No one knows where. That's what the narrator tells us. So looking back over these chapters, it's the handover. And I reckon, you know, school holiday week, just, just think back. What do we know about Moses? 120 years he lived. Um, he was born into the tribe of Levi, long before the Levites became the priestly tribe. He was born to an Israelite who was a slave in Egypt. And at that time, Pharaoh had ordered every male Hebrew baby was to be thrown into the Nile. And so his mum built a little basket coated it, put the baby in the, in the Nile, and he floated and was discovered by Pharaoh's daughter, raised in Pharaoh's household, like a prince, maybe. And then as an adult, sadly, he saw um, an Egyptian bullying an Israelite, I guess inadvertently killed him, and then had to flee into Midian and lived in the land of Midian as an alien a stranger in that land. One commentator I read uh, claims that it all feels a little bit too symmetrical, but he says, you know, 40 years in Pharaoh's courts, 40 years in Midian, and then 40 years leading the, the nation of Israel, 120 years. But while in Midian, God spoke to Moses from a burning bush, a, burn, a bush that was burning but didn't burn up, and God told Moses to go back into Egypt and bring his people out, bring God's people out, gather them around Mount Sinai so he could speak to them. And that's a pretty amazing thing to do, but as you keep reading through the Bible, you see God does it. He does it with those biblical plagues, gets them out of Egypt. Um, Moses led them to Horeb, to Mount Sinai, so that God could speak with them. And he gathers them around Mount Sinai, but they're too scared. And so Moses gets sent up the mountain. He becomes, from that point on, the mediator, the prophet, the man who will be the, the go-between between Israel and God. He began his task of teaching God's word and God's ways to his own people, to teach them to fear God, to teach them to trust God. And Moses would lead in that way for the next 40 years because the people failed to trust God. They wouldn't go ahead. 
They, wouldn't, they didn't trust that God would go ahead of them into the land of, of Canaan. They were too scared to trust and obey. They, they, they didn't trust because of the giants in that land and the fortified cities. And so God sentenced the nation to 40 years of wandering in the desert. So a generation would die off, all apart from Joshua and Caleb. Even Moses would die before young Israel crosses into the land of Canaan. And you look at that and you think, well, how much does it matter to God that his special people trust him and obey him? And so as you come to the last four chapters, the narrator's telling you about the, the, the end of Moses' long life. He's there on the east of the Jordan. He gets to, to go up and have a look over the land of Canaan, the land that he won't be able to enter. Um, Moses knows his time's come. As he prepares to die, he climbs up that mountain, knowing that he won't be coming down. And you think back over his life, he was born a slave, raised as a prince, dragged this rebellious nation of people around in the desert. Um, look at, again, how um, at the passage that was read, look at 34 verse 1. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho, and there the Lord showed him the whole land. He's looking out over the place he'll never get to go into. Down in verse 5, Moses' servant of the Lord died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. And verse 6, he or God buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Just as a reminder, this is written by a narrator. And then you jump down to verse 10. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face who did all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt. And you're looking at this, you think, what's going to happen after Moses? This great man of God, this leader, what will happen after Moses? Well, the passage tells us Joshua will take over. We know that. But Moses knew better than anyone else that this people would wander away from God yet again. And we know that's what happened. As a nation, they failed to trust God. So as we come to the end of our series in Deuteronomy, I reckon it's helpful just to you know, get this book, have the, the shape of it in your head. It goes something like this. So there's, it's unequal parts in this, but there's the first, um, this is Moses speaking, Deuteronomy is a record of Moses speaking to his people, God's people, preparing them to cross into the land, the, the land of Canaan the second time, the second attempt. Three speeches, the first one's the history lesson, don't be like your parents, trust and obey. The second speech is the longest one, takes you through from chapter 5 to 28. It's the law, it's the terms of the covenant, it's the way to, you're to live as God's people in God's place, under God's rule. And then you have the third talk is the renewal of that covenant. Look at that last week. And then we're into the fourth part of the book, the narrator just telling us the handover um, from Moses to Joshua. So in chapters 31 to 34, you've got a few things here. You've got the narrator telling us the handover. Then you've got this, this song in chapter 32 and then the blessing of all the tribes in chapter 33. Just have a look at the song just for a bit. We're not going to sing it. If you, if you look at the first few verses, you'll recognize it. There's a song ascribed greatness. That's easy. But as you read on into the song, it gets harder to read. And Moses is told to write this song because it will bear witness against the people. It does. Get a taste for it. Have a look at um, 31. Well, let's, let's lead into it first. 31 verse 3. The Lord God himself will cross over ahead of you, God says to Moses, uh, to Joshua. He will destroy these nations before you and will take possession of the land. Joshua also will cross over ahead of you, as the Lord said. 
And the Lord will do to them, 31 verse 4, as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, whom he destroyed along with their land. The Lord will deliver you, deliver them to you, and you must do to them all that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you, never forsake you. This is Moses, the one last time. Trust God, obey him. He'll go ahead of you. You'll be fine. 31 verse 9, he writes down that the law gives it to the priest to carry in the ark. Um, the thing that Moses will leave behind is God's word so that people can read it and be reminded of it. Um, it's a record as you look through it of God's faithfulness, giving the people reason to trust him. So when you, when you think about all this, this is, um, you know, the Swiss, they brought us watches and you know, those fancy little knives that pack up. The French, they've given us croissants. Um, the English, they've given us, I don't know what, but the Jews, they've given us God's word. It shows us who God is, shows us we can trust God. 31 verse 14, God tells Moses um, that it's time to commission Joshua. 31 verses 15 to 16, God appears to Moses. God tells Moses, this people, they're going to chase after the foreign gods. Um, verse 17, God will judge them. And then verse 19, so Moses is to write a song for them to learn so that it will bear witness against them. That's the introduction to this song. It's a song to bear witness against this people. It's a song that it praises God in the beginning, but if you look down from the, verse 32, verse 19, it starts to talk about the way that God will reject his people. God will use other nations to judge his people. But you keep reading through the song, and in time, God will also judge those other nations. He'll vindicate his people. And then the song closes again, praising God once again, and because he will make atonement for his people. Look back over the song. This is the song that Moses and Aaron taught to the people. He gives it to them, along with the rest of the laws, as words of life in 32, verse 44 to 47. You might look at the song and think, yeah, it's fairly negative, but think about it. For the nation who will rebel against God, they will be judged. As they look back at the words of this song, there's this constant reminder that, yes, God is judging them. But it's part of God's plan. God is still in control. Any godly Israelite in, in, in the nation, as, as the people rebelled, any godly, godly Israelite wanting to trust and obey God would be able to sing this song and reflect on the words and see that, yes, this calamity that's happening to us, it's God's plan. It's part of his plan. They would be reminded that God is in control. The song would serve to teach the people that they need to trust God, even in that situation. Um, and as we look at it, the song does the same for us, doesn't it? it teaches us to trust God. You look through the history of Israel and you see God's hand in it from beginning to end. There's more reason to trust God. It shows that God was not surprised by sinful hearts. It shows that God's plan won't be thwarted when people do the wrong thing. God is bigger than all that. And with our New Testament perspective, we look at it and we see the way God works, the way he judges and the way all this leads us to appreciate Jesus when he comes. So that's Deuteronomy chapter um, 32. That's the song. I'll leave you to work out some music for it. and You can sing it next week. I'll be on holidays. You can do it next week. Then you come to chapter 33. And in chapter 33, you have a record of Moses blessing each of the tribes of Israel. And the very fact that he does this is a positive thing. It makes you realize there is hope for these people. These people, they matter to God. 
So there's these blessings all through that chapter. The way Moses blesses the tribes, it's kind of reminiscent of the way that he saw Abraham bless Isaac back in Genesis and the way Isaac then blessed Jacob and the way Jacob then blessed his 12 sons. Same sort of pattern. Um, the blessings, they point to hope for the future, that God has good in store, and they remind us that God is working to a plan. Look, for, ex- for example, at verse 29. So 33 verse 29, the way it ends up, Blessed are you, Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and helper and your glorious sword. Your enemies will cower before you, and you will tread, and, and you will tread on their heights. So you look back across chapter 32, the song, chapter 33, the blessing. What will happen after Moses? Well, the same as just keeps on happening. God will be faithful. The people will rebel. God will judge. The people will continue to sin. God will be faithful. It just goes round and round. And what will happen after Moses? Well, have a look at how the the, the book finishes. Have a look at um, chapter 34, verse 10. Since then, no prophet has risen in all Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord went, sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials in the whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. We look at that, the narrator saying no, one, no prophet like Moses has come. Well, we know a prophet greater than Moses, don't we? We know that that's how Jesus has come. He's a prophet, he's a priest, he's a king. He's a greater prophet than Moses. Just reflect on a little bit. Jesus was born in a humble way, like Moses was. He was born into a different tribe. He was born into the tribe of Judah, the, the, the tribe that all the kings would come from. He became a better king than King David. Like Moses, he was born at a time when there was this sentence on all the Jewish kids. They were to be killed. Um, Jesus survived like Moses did. But where Jesus is so different to Moses is he never sinned. He's the perfect Israelite. Matthew records it for us. When Jesus is tempted in in Matthew chapter 4, there's 40 days, kind of like the the 40 years in the desert. When Jesus is tempted, he's not like the rest of Israel. He doesn't sin. In fact, every time there's a record of Satan tempting, he comes back with words from Deuteronomy. It's kind of like Jesus is who Israel should have been. He's the perfect Israel, Israelite. He didn't sin. Um, God called Moses to rescue his people from Egypt, to lead them out of the land of slavery, to lead them into rest in the land of Canaan. But God called Jesus to do an even bigger rescue, to rescue sinful human beings from sin and death, to give us hope of eternity with God in heaven. Jesus is a greater prophet than Moses. And Jesus continues to work by his spirit and through God's word, continues to call on people to trust, just like Moses did, to trust and obey and to live for God. Moses died on Mount Nebo, overlooking the promised land of Canaan. He wanted the Israelites to learn to trust and obey. And that hasn't changed. We need to trust and obey. For us, it means trust and obey Jesus. God remains faithful. You look through Deuteronomy, you see it time and time again. Um, but as we close, like shut the book on, on Deuteronomy, jump to the New Testament, find the book of Hebrews in the back end of the New Testament and find chapter 11. Chapter 11, the writer of the Hebrews, he just lists off all these faithful people from the Old Testament. 
if you come to Hebrews chapter 11, if you look at verse 23, there's Moses. So if you read from Hebrews 11, verse 23, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. It kind of jumps off the page, doesn't it? Suffering for the sake of Christ. I think what the writer of Hebrews is doing is two things. Firstly, holding up the Old Testament faithful people, Old Testament people who live for God, holding them up as an example. We should be able to trust God like that and obey him. And secondly, I think the writer of Hebrews is showing us that the old covenant faithful people, as they trusted and obeyed, they're actually trusting in Jesus. It's kind of joining the dots for you. In other words, the old covenant faithful point us to Jesus. The writer of the Hebrews is in the middle of this um, repeated cyclic argument where he's saying, this is how it worked in the old covenant. This is how it works in the new. Don't go back to the old. And so here in chapter 11, he's saying, even your old covenant greats point you to Jesus. So don't let go of him. And leaves you with the, yeah, are we trusting like them, but are we trusting in Jesus? That's where it hits home. So Deuteronomy shows us God's faithfulness to every promise he's ever made, particularly his promises to Abraham, that he'd make them into his people um, in his place under his rule. Deuteronomy shows us the seriousness of sin time and time again. But then when you turn to the new covenant, you see Jesus has dealt with sin and all its consequences. But we have the same decision that Israel had. Will you trust the Lord? Will you trust in Jesus? Will you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength? Will you obey the Lord and live for King Jesus? It all begins by hearing God's word, the word we have recorded in the Bible. So how are you going at trusting in the Lord? Let's pray for each other. Um, Next week, we won't be in Deuteronomy. Um, Tom will take us back into 2 Peter chapter 3. Let's pray for each other.